so welcome to today's session on wise effort. We're continuing to move along the path. And if you feel like you're getting left in the dust because you're not done with all the other ones, don't worry about it. It's a long path. <laughs> but um, we are going to... I hope it's not feeling too long to get through this whole year. Um, yeah. So on to wise effort. But maybe I thought I'd stop ask first if um, any of you have any questions about the last month that are still lingering from livelihood or any of the other ethical steps of the path, because we're kind of starting a different branch of it today. Okay, good. I think I'll, uh, I'll credit all of your good work on that, and also maybe your mentors. <laughs> so, um, excellent. And of course, they're all interwoven. So let's go ahead and start with our sitting then. So finding a posture that is upright and also relaxed. And if you're comfortable doing so, closing your eyes, allowing your attention to come inward. Maybe taking a couple of long, slow, deep breaths, and then on the exhale, letting go of any surface-level tension or thoughts, that thoughts about getting here. You're here now, so you can relax into being here. And tuning into our body. So feeling the seat against the cushion or the chair. The legs or the feet against the floor. And just letting go into that stable support, feeling that you're supported where you're sitting, making sure that your body is somewhat balanced. Perhaps making some conscious effort to soften. Softening the muscles of the face around the forehead and the eyes, around the mouth and the jaw, just letting the expression on your face be soft. Softening the eyes and the eye sockets. Relaxing inside the brain. Letting go of any tension right behind the eyes.
And down into the shoulders, softening the shoulders, letting the shoulder blades slide down the back. down into the chest, letting that expand open. down into the belly, allowing that to be round and soft. Hip joints, groin muscles, letting go of any bracing in the legs. This exercise of softening and bringing our awareness into the body is a direct illustration that the effort it takes to maintain tension in the body is distracting. Most people find it's easier to be present as the body softens. Sometimes a little less effort, efforting, brings us into the present. So finding our object it might be the sensations of the breath, or if you prefer the, the body sitting. Some immediate direct experience as the resting place for our attention. And with very simple, easeful effort, we intend to stay present with that object.
we find that the mind is easily getting distracted or is dulling out and falling asleep now that we're quiet, then we know that maybe a little more effort, a little more alertness, sharpness to the mind would keep it more present. Because we find actually that drifting off into thought is also a little tiring. little agitating.
if you're finding that your your mind has found some degree of ease or peace or presence you may notice that there's a certain openness or vibrancy energy to a state of simple awareness neither pushing too hard nor slacking off and so you have a direct understanding of the way effort actually generates energy we usually think the opposite it's going to take energy to make effort but actually skillful effort generates energy three steps of the path that we've just gone through work are called the the sila steps of the path or the ethical conduct steps of wise speech wise action and wise livelihood and the final three which we're now moving into are considered a uh, had given a different name they're considered the samadhi section of the path where samadhi means meditation or concentration or gatheredness of mind and in fact uh, concentration is the last step sama samadhi but today we're on wise effort the first of these so there's wise effort wise mindfulness and wise concentration and so this is a um, kind of a different focus but as you know, all of the parts of the path are interwoven. This transition is considered significant from moving, from working in the realm of speech and action, uh, which can be quite external, as well as, of course, our inner speech matters, to really working with the realm of the mind. You know, we're really moving into that dimension 
I think we can see, you know, why why does this transition come about? Like, why is the path organized in this way? I think we could see this in two different related ways. One is that you've done it experientially. You've worked with the speech and the action. And there's a sense, um, there can be a sense, that we, we want to understand where these come from, you know? You've watched yourself say something that you didn't want to say. And you think, why did I say that? Where did that come from? <laughs> Go to the source. <laughs> and so there can be this sense of, I want to know, or, we, or we, we, maybe we're not aware of some habit that we have of how we do things in the world or how we approach some, something, some behavior that we have. And we wonder, well, where, you know, what, what is the source of this? What is the origin of this? So the source is in the mind. You know, we have an intention and we, uh, we do something. They're not coming out of nowhere. Um, and we're not saying these things out of no um, prior something happening in the mind. There is something happening in the mind. We just may not have been seeing it. And so we, there can be a sense, especially if we're interested in non-harming and in um, making sure that we're behaving well externally, but also that we're not harming ourselves internally, we start looking for the source, we start going into the mind. More fundamentally, this is acknowledged actually in the teachings, um, is that it turns out that actions and speech actually can't get all the way to the root. This is from the Anguttara Nikaya. What monks are those things that are abandoned neither by body nor by word, but by continually seeing with wisdom? And then he gives a bunch of things. I won't list them all, but he says, for example, greed, hatred, delusion, anger. The list goes on. Uh, in other words, the, the level of bodily action and verbal speech does not touch the roots of suffering completely. It goes pretty far. But um, only wisdom can go all the way to the root. So if the aim is really to end the mind's ability to even do these things, we're going to have to work with the mind. And wisdom comes through meditation. It can't really be fully developed. At least that's the premise. There are always folks who have miraculous openings um, without any practice. But at least for most of us, there's going to be some effort. <laughs> I think this is interesting, um, this quote about the action and the speech, because we know, we can see from our own practice that these could go very, very far. Um, if we could really only say things that were skillful and only do things that were helpful in some way. Um, but the... And I, I certainly think that the world could use a lot of that. <laughs> we have a long way to go in just in this realm. would be really fine for a long time. So I'm not at all diminishing this. Um, but this the, this the path is really pointing to something quite deep and that there comes a point where you know our own our very perception, our way of seeing things, our way of understanding things is limiting you know in terms of a self acting in the world, for example. For the most part, you can carry that idea while doing the sila steps. So inward we go, and the first step is wise effort. And this, um, there's different dimensions to effort, right? There's how much effort to make, too much, too little, and there are teachings on that. And then there's what kind of effort to make. And this, um, this step of the path traditionally refers to what kind of effort to make, but there are teachings on how much, and I'll uh, talk about that a little bit today also. Um, but effectively, if you look at the definition of wise effort, it will say that it's, to summarize it, it's to increase the time in which the mind dwells in wholesome states, which correspondingly decreases the time in which it dwells in unwholesome states. So that would be states without greed, hatred, or delusion. You know, it's not, it's not anything complex. It comes straight out of uh, the wise intentions that we had earlier. We don't intend for greed. We don't want to act or have intentions that come from greed, hatred, and delusion. So we need to change the state of the mind so it's not, it doesn't have those factors present. And therefore, you know, those factors being able to drive our actions. It is also considered wholesome, though, just in case you're worried about 
<laughs> the amount of time your mind might spend in some of these states, is that um, it's also considered wholesome if the mind does contain some difficult states, but that we're mindful of them, because mindfulness can be a, a wholesome quality. I remember um, at a retreat one time, Winnie Nazarko uh, was one of the teachers, and she, she looked out on the audience and said, I've always wanted to ask this, how many of you have spent this retreat primarily in wholesome states? <laughs> and like, no hands went up, <laughs> you know, and everyone's watching their mind go wild, <laughs> and, and all this boredom and frustration and sleepiness, and, and then she said, I always, th- I thought so, and then she reminded us very skillfully that mindfulness is a wholesome state. So if you are seeing all of that in your mind, it's okay. It's not pleasant, maybe, but it's, you know, this is, it's helpful to remember that. We're so hard on ourselves. So it's also worth taking a moment as we embark on this to consider the significance of this step and our relationship to it. You know, wise effort, like what does that do for you? We may have various associations with the word effort. Um, maybe we were told to make more effort by a school teacher at some point. And so we have this kind of um, uh, resistive attitude toward that word because we didn't like that. Or maybe, um, we were told that we weren't making enough effort when we were struggling as hard as we could, and we couldn't imagine that we could make any more effort. Um, or maybe we believed some earlier spiritual thing that we read in a book or heard from someone that said, it should all be effortless. We should all just realize our true nature and float along in the supreme awareness of oneness. Okay, I'm making that up, but, um, (laughs) you know, we may have heard something like that, and it sounds great, and of course, you know, these kinds of experiences can happen, but if we have the belief that it should be effortless, we might not make enough effort (laughs) to actually, um, you know, change some of the states that we find our mind in, and it is, you know, we may not know that we're empowered to actually make our mind significantly better home than it is to live in sometimes. So... The Buddha was very clear that effort is required on this path. Um, The assumption is that our mind is not in its optimal state and that uh, we can't just wish for that or sort of hope for it and do nothing, but that there are things that we'll do to, to help it along with that. I think any genuine spiritual path will acknowledge that some effort is needed, I think. However, effort is what's called necessary but not sufficient. Um, Necessary but not sufficient. So it's not just that we need to just do more and more effort and if we just tried harder and if we, 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 me, 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 we're just making it happen better, um, then I'd be enlightened by now. Why am I so slow? Um, It's more subtle than that. It's more subtle than that. This is getting into the you know, we're now getting into working with the mind directly. And so there's, you know, there is some nuance to how we do effort. I think you probably saw that during the meditation. Too much, too little. How do I, how do I work with this thing that I didn't get an instruction manual for? We all got born into this mind and body without the instruction manual, I feel like, sometimes. So we look for these instructions. So... Wise effort is usually laid out <coughs> excuse me, in four different steps, but I don't think they're really different. They're kind of, I mean, when you try to analyze them too carefully, you come to the conclusion that they're all very similar, but there is some um, worth in separating them out. So I want to talk about these. So we have some remembrance, perhaps, from the sila steps and also from intention of the difference between unwholesome and wholesome. You know, is that we know that unwholesome is rooted in greed, hatred, or delusion in some way, and wholesome is not. And, you know, that doesn't, that varies from time to time. We, we always want to make sure that these particular roots are not being used. So, um, the first, the first step of wise effort, if you will, the first type, is to prevent. It's called preventing. Preventing unwholesome states that are not present from arising. (laughs) Does that make sense? So we have things about our mind that are 
not not happening right now and we don't want to allow them to come in um, so these are simple actions like starting to watch out we start to notice oh every time I get on my computer and allow myself to just randomly web surf all the pages that look interesting I end up really um, agitated and then I can't go to sleep well so don't do that <laughs> maybe not easy but you know that's one small example but we have to start noticing in our lives what is it that gets my mind into states that aren't very good how do I get frustrated how do I get angry how do I get um, obsessed with something or greedy for something and then try not to do so many of those things it's not um, not necessarily easy but it is kind of simple when you think about it is that we can just we can choose to avoid certain things now this is not about you know strictly locking yourself in your house and quitting your job and never doing anything that will possibly irritate your mind because you'll find that that irritates it soon enough but um, you know just being a little bit skillful about those things I have a little practice where if I am irritated with a driver on the road, I see some other car doing something that I find irritating, if later I have a chance to pass that car, I make an effort not to look at the driver. Um, I don't, I've already seen the irritation and uh, you know, maybe hopefully done something to, in myself to help with that. I don't need to know what that person looks like, you know, I don't need to know if they're old or young. I need to know what race they are. I don't need to know what gender they are. Just in case some little thing might get triggered in my mind, um, I'm preventing some kind of an unskillful categorization from happening, possibly. It may not, but it may. So I just don't do it. It's just one small example. The second kind of wise effort is to abandon the unwholesome states that are present. So we prevent the ones that aren't from coming in, but what if they're already here? Then we have to find some way to abandon them. And this is, um, there's lots and lots and lots of practices for abandoning unwholesome states. This is hardly a, this is a very generic statement to abandon what's unwholesome. You know, there's metta practice for helping with ill will. There's um, a huge number of practices here, which we'll uh, talk more about later when we get into the mindfulness and the concentration steps. So they're all about developing the mind. Um, and the first thing you have to do to do that is to let go of the hindrances and other things, right? If you want to be concentrated, you have to let go of the hindrances. But one thing that we've learned, there's some nuance to this uh, second part of wise effort, and it is that we can't let go of, we can't abandon unwholesome states by being averse to them, right? Aversion, anger, and dislike, and irritation are unwholesome states. So we can't look at our mind and say, oh, I'm currently frustrated, and then be angry about that and try to let go of it. You've then added more aversion <laughs> onto the aversion. So we have to find a way to skillfully abandon unwholesome states that is non-aversive. How do we let go of something without hating it? This is important, actually, in practice. Otherwise, we're just going to keep on, keep on with the same patterns. So this is, there's some skill in working with our mind. It's helpful sometimes maybe to think of your mind as a child. Children do a lot of unwholesome, unskillful things, and while we're raising them, it's our job to help guide them into uh, better ways of behaving. But it doesn't really help, does it, to yell at the child, get angry, be really averse. They're, they're a child, they don't know, or think of training a puppy. It's a puppy, it doesn't know. So and maybe your parts of your mind don't know. You know, you're probably not deliberately doing these things that are, uh, first of all, harmful to you in the first place. So we treat our mind very gently and kindly. Oh, I've gotten irritated. Let's see if we can let go of that in some way. Not, oh darn, I'm irritated again, and I'm supposed to be doing this spiritual practice where I'm non-irritated. <laughs> so there's some nuance to that step. Third step, third type, you can sort of get the pattern by this point. 
cultivating, that's the verb, cultivating wholesome states that have not yet arisen. So there are wholesome states that we don't have, and we would like to have them. <laughs> so we do things to encourage um, wholesome states to come in. This one sometimes gets neglected through too much emphasis on seeing the negative parts of our mind. I mean, if you spent your whole life looking for negative mind states, you could probably find a lot of them. But when do we think about the wholesome mind states that we could have more of at this moment? Couldn't I bring in some kindness? Couldn't I bring in some compassion if it's not here? What about some patience or some generosity or some gratitude? Gosh, the options are endless. They're actually... Um, there's a, a particular book of the teachings that has huge lists of the numbers of wholesome, actually they're called beautiful, beautiful consciousnesses and unskillful consciousnesses. And there's more beautiful ones, mm -hmm. just so you know. <laughs> there's more beautiful ones. So there's always something available for us. And if it's not here, we could encourage it in some way. Um, even if the mind isn't quite perfect right now, and you do have some things that you need to abandon, don't try to abandon everything <laughs> before you cultivate anything beautiful. Um, start right now. We can inject the mind already with wholesome states like mindfulness, for example. That already starts if we do wholesome mindfulness. So this is actually where practice starts to be fun, because <laughs> there's an immediate reward for bringing in wholesome states in some way. And so part of it is, of course, generating an, an interest and a wish to have a more wholesome states in the mind. If the word wholesome doesn't work for you because it sounds a little too goody, two shoes, you can try skillful or happy or beautiful. I mean, beautiful is fine. The beautiful mind states. And then the fourth, you can almost, I could almost ask you for it at this point, um, is maintaining wholesome states that are here. So those are the four options, right? So we have wholesome states that actually are present in our mind. We don't need to f think that we only have unwholesome ones. And if there's anything that's here, we should try to keep it. <laughs> Again, though, there's going to be the nuance. This is the other one that's nuanced, is that we have to find a way to quote-unquote hold on to, let's say I even use that word, maintain wholesome mind states without grasping, right? Greed, grasping, wanting, controlling, these are automatically undermining that skillful state. How do you keep a skillful state without grasping onto it? Another excellent practice to learn how to do in our mind. So there's a certain light touch a certain light touch in keeping a good state going. And people often encounter this in meditation. Maybe you haven't worked with this directly in daily life practice, or maybe you have, but one way that people encounter it is in meditation, where they sit down and after some time meditating, they start to feel at peace. Oh my gosh, all the agitation goes away, and they feel great. They feel open, peaceful, relaxed. And some people have never felt that before for such a, in such a deep, personal, intimate way. And they get all excited, and they say, Oh my gosh, my mind's peaceful! Wow, how did that happen? How do I keep this? Whoa! And then they say, Oops, I'm not peaceful. <laughs> or it's so shocking that they, you know, start thinking again. I don't know what to do with peace. Oh my gosh. I had somebody say that to me, actually, that they... Um, they came up after one of my teachings and they said, they were sort of agitated and they said, I think, I think I was falling asleep or something. I just felt so relaxed. <laughs> she was very upset about this. <laughs> I said, have you felt this before? I don't, I, uh, she was the kind of person where I suspected she may not have really felt that before. So I was happy that she did, but um, a little sorry that she couldn't hold it. <laughs> but maybe it will come more often. So those are the four aspects of wise effort. They're very straightforward. So unwholesome states that are not here, we try to prevent. Unwholesome states that are here, we aim to abandon. Wholesome states that are not present, we would like to encourage. And wholesome states that are present, we would like to maintain. It may be worth noting that effort appears in the most lists overall. It is the most, probably, I think, the 
maybe maybe concentration, but I think maybe effort. So it's not only a factor of the a step of the path, but it's a factor of awakening, spiritual faculty, a power, a parami, other things. So it's a crucially important factor, and actually not so complex. You know, at this given, all you have to do is look at your mind in this given moment and give it a little tune-up in some way. Um, It's not a complicated thing that we need to erect some huge structure over time. It's really just if you can do it this moment, great. And if you can do it five minutes from now, great. It's always just this moment. How is the mind and how can I get to the next moment in some reasonable way? Over time, we learn the different ways that this step manifests. Uh, at the beginning, it can be a little bit of a little bit clunky, you know, me doing the effort. So I've told you these four things, and now maybe you'll walk around with this list in your head and say, okay, should I prevent? Should I maintain? What am I doing? Um, that's fine. You can do that. Um, Utejaniya calls this personal effort uh, when we're doing something, and there is a role for personal effort on the path. For sure. And then, um, but I think that personal effort is distinct from the kind of effort that is more impersonal, that's made, say, by wisdom. Uh, Utejaniya also says, even wisdom wants things, <laughs> which I think is a lovely statement. You know, if wisdom were in charge of your mind, what would it want for you right now? Mm. And you don't have to do all of this. You can let your mind kind of settle itself the way a marble will settle itself into the bottom of a bowl. So this is when we start letting go more into this effortless effort, that is, um, you know, this impersonal effort, that is what's called effortless effort. But sometimes it's a little bit of a misnomer because even effort made by wisdom or made not in a personal sense of me feeling like the agent even that effort can be very strong at times. Uh, it doesn't necessarily feel like nothing's happening or that it's super easy. I think the best characterization I heard around this point was that it's neither easy nor hard. It's neither easy nor hard to walk this path. It's pretty true. So if you've been practicing for a while, I don't know how long a while is, but if you've been practicing for what you think of as a while, you might consider um, backing off a little from the personal effort. There does come a point where it's not, it's actually not very helpful and to let the path take its form a little bit more. You maybe saw that um, directly at the beginning of the meditation where you might have been sitting with some effort. And as we relax, we realize, oh, you know what? The body actually knows how to sit. (laughs) I don't need to do sitting so much. And in the same way, at some point, we don't need to do the path quite so much. But before that, we do. There's a story. So we're now moving more into kind of how much effort is right at a given moment. There was a monk named Sona who um, had a little trouble with the amount of effort. And he, uh, like many of us, was very enthusiastic about the path. And his way of making effort was that he did walking meditation back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for a really long time until his feet were bleeding. And because he was sure that more effort in his walking would, would be the best thing. And he even thought about quitting because it was so painful thought about disrobing and going back to his other life. And the Buddha came and said, didn't you just have that thought that you were going to disrobe? And he said, well, yes. And so then the Buddha said, look, uh, we need to talk about effort. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Um, (laughs) And he he remembered that uh, Sona had been a lute player. A vena, actually, was the instrument, the vena. Um, and he said, weren't you a vena player when you were a lay person? And he said, yes, I was. And he said, well, when your vena was the string, this is a stringed instrument, when the strings were strung up really tight, did it sound good? And <laughs> you could play well? And he said, no. And then he said, okay. And when the strings were really, really loose and flaccid, could you play well, sound good? No. 
He said, right. So there's an optimal tuning of strings so that the tension is correct uh, to be able to make the instrument sound good. And he says it's the same thing with effort, is that there's a certain optimal amount. Um, it's not enough, then it's just kind of floppy. And if it's too much, it's tight and your feet bleed. So um, we need to find that for ourselves also. And it's not just a matter of set it and forget it. Um, we have to keep tuning <laughs> over time and you know, different times of day, different mind states, different situations, different people. Uh, we're going to have to make different kinds of effort. So that's why that's where this step gets kind of interesting. Um, don't be overwhelmed and, at thinking, oh, I'm not going to be able to figure out all that. You don't have to. It's always just feeling this moment, this moment, what is needed. And then the situation shifts and maybe something else is needed. So I would say that an essential ingredient in working with effort is a good sense of humor. <laughs> Especially with the word effort, we can get so tight around it. Relax, have a nice sense of humor. Um, don't take your mind too personally. So the unwholesome states and even the wholesome states are conditioned. And we're just playing around with conditions to see how things work. Uh, see what brings more of this, less of that. We can smile at our mind. Smiling at our silly little efforts to do this or that or make this or that come true for me. We can smile at the little child of the mind and just try to make add some guidance in some way. Sylvia Borstein has a practice of calling herself sweetheart when she is her mind is really worked up about something, she'll say, Sweetheart, maybe we should just breathe a bit. So I recommend um, some nice little nickname for yourself or some term of endearment. Analio, who is a very kind of serious-looking monk, um, will shake his head and say, Oh, Analio, there you go again. So something like that I recommend for this month. So it's true that we want to be letting go. I mean, ultimately, the effort is the effort to let go, if that makes any sense. <laughs> That's part of the nuance of effort is, you know, we're making effort in order to let go, right? Um, letting go of craving and clinging. But um, sometimes this can be a little stark, is just to let go. And so it's nice to think about letting go into. You know, we're not just letting go of, we're letting go into something. And what is it that you're making effort to let go into? Is it peace? Is it ease? Is it love? Is it presence? This helps have our helps us bring some confidence to our practice of effort. There's a nice phrase, the sure heart's release. I think a sure heart is one that knows what it what it would want to let go into. And that sureness can come from the seeing the results of wise effort. You know, even just a little bit of wise effort, we see a result, and then that gives us some more confidence in continuing to cultivate the wholesome and let go of the unwholesome. Okay. So this is um, now a chance for you to talk among yourselves a bit about this initial introduction to, to effort, and then we'll come back in the group and have more of a chance for Q&A or other things. So why don't you get into um, groups of three, and we'll see how that goes. Okay. So um, the first question is, what is your relationship to the idea of effort on the path? You know, do you feel energized, hopeful, discouraged, some combination or something else. So what is your relationship to this idea of effort on the path? And we'll go around and each person can speak for, you know, a minute or two. It doesn't have to be a long, complicated thing, but just making sure you know your relationship. Oh, Evelyn, did you have a group already? Mm -hmm. Actually, why don't we why don't we make all groups of three then? 
so that the other extra person, yeah. It's perfect. I'm so glad you came in at this moment, Evelyn. It was exactly what we needed. So the question is, what is your relationship to the idea of effort on the path? Is that something that gives you energy or hope, or you feel discouraged and overwhelmed by it? So each person just speak for a minute or two, um, and I'll ring the bell in between each person. That was good. And then um, we do have another set of contemplations, and so this one has um, a couple parts. I'm figuring at this point you're getting more sophisticated about these questions. So this one, um, talk about... First of all, what attracts you about working with unwholesome states, so preventing and abandoning? What attracts you about working with wholesome states, which would be cultivating and maintaining? So kind of just your attraction to each of those, and then maybe some evaluation of which one might need more attention in your practice right now. So um, I'll let each person, again, speak just briefly about that, and then there will be a time at the end um, for you guys to talk a little bit more among yourselves. But let's let each person, because that's a little bit of an inner exploration. Somebody might actually discover something while they're talking about that. Um, so why don't you let the person uh, unfold a little bit on that without too much interruption, and then at the end you'll have a chance to talk among yourselves a bit. Okay, so the first person can go ahead. <coughs> <laughs> okay, so those sounded like some really good discussions, and I would, um, yeah, I'd be curious to hear if you have any larger wisdom to share in the group. About what you came up with, or anything that interested you or surprised you about um, what you learned from that. Yeah, Roman. I think about how um, uh, cultivating wholesome states and releasing ourselves from unwholesome states can work together mm -hmm. really well. That it doesn't have to be like two separate concepts. And that um, it's like one partner was talking about how it helps to cultivate wholesome states by first alleviating ourselves in the unwholesome state. And the flip of that is, like, I've always felt that it helps me let go of unwholesome states by cultivating its opposite. Mm -hmm. And so just the relation between the two, and I was very dynamic, it's kind of interesting as well. They don't live in their own worlds. Yeah, that's what I meant by those four different parts. The more you look at them, you have a hard time distinguishing them completely. But you're right. They are very much uh, complementary and can happen together. I guess there is some, um, <clears throat> I'm always in favor of looking at the order in things, <laughs> the order of the things are presented in, and it's true that the um, elimination of the unwholesome states is present, presented first in the list, and why is that? The analogy I've heard is that it's like a garden and that you have to take out the weeds before you can grow the flowers, in a sense, but not 100%, right? You have to, you can do both, yeah. Yeah, Andreas. In my experience, actually, I feel like the cultivation of the wholesome state has allowed me to see more of the unwholesome. Uh huh. Yeah, so cultivation of, say, mindfulness, for example, it helps you to see the unwholesome ones, yeah. is very true. Yeah, many people have tried metta practice and have discovered that what they mostly see is their anger. Mm -hmm. And it's because when we deliberately try to cultivate something that's wholesome, what we run into is the barriers between, you know, that are, that are there between us and that. <laughs> and so um, we will see more of the unwholesome when we try to cultivate the wholesome. That's true. And I think there's also something about, at least for me, about, like, at least historically, realizing that, because historically, like, I would have answered this question completely different if you'd asked me a year ago or two years ago. Um, but, so for me, at least, it was really important to see that the wholesome 
states were possible before I could possibly get, <laughs> let go of the other stuff. Just because I sort of didn't know. I was so used to the other stuff that I didn't right, know yeah. what else was there. And so, okay. you know, it's like uncomfortable but, com but familiar. And so, um, at, at least for me, now it's sort of more just in any moment. Yeah, you can work with different, different ones. But, um, but at least historically, I would say there was a time when I had no idea how to, I just, I heard metapractice and it was like, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Like, what's it, I mean, I just didn't realize what it would do to me. Like, I didn't realize what it would do to me and I didn't realize what um, all of the positive practices and just a, a kind of truly positive state of mind was even possible mm -hmm. for more than like, you know, I don't know, you know, a moment mm -hmm. with somebody or, you know, like, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I didn't have the power to, make that happen internally. Great. Yeah. Focusing, well, the group wisdom is focus on the wholesome first. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I saw this hand first and then Kevin. Yeah. Kevin, um, cultivating and cultivating a wholesome practice. And I've been, like, brainwashing and then getting to a point where I get exhausted and I say, fuck it, and I just don't want to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> 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 because then I'm just really like, oh, I hate all of this. Don't want to do it anymore. And then I'm just like dragging myself. I'm just like swinging wildly from side to side. And I, yeah. I was saying to my group that it reminded me when I was thinking about it, like when I was um, trying to strengthen my back here and a woman was saying to me about holding in yeah so this is like sona wanting to disrobe i mean it's very similar it's over efforting does produce resistance um i mean the, one of the worst ways to tell to to relax is to tell somebody to relax and <laughs> that's that's why i say soften instead i hope it helps but yeah so you have experiential understanding that uh, first of all that this is how it works it's it's not special for you actually it would happen to anybody but what you the real the important part is that you've seen that you have a tendency toward over-efforting. Um, and that's what to work with, is to find a way to kind of soften it. So on the plus side, you know you're not, like, lazy, but um, it's still an issue to have an over-stressful over mind like that because it has real impact on, on you. So, yeah, so this will be a month of... Um, of sweetheart practice, <laughs> but uh, not because you have to do all these things. I mean, mindfulness, put your attention in your right hand. Did it not work for anyone? <laughs> it's like that. So it's so simple, but not easy. So I appreciate your sharing that, and we all get into that at times. Mostly effort is not a, a track down a straight road. Mostly it's too much and then too little and then, you know, like that. And we hope that the average works out. <laughs> yeah. Kevin, did you have something? Yeah, just, um, you know, I can just notice that our, our minds are just so inclined to go towards the, the negative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that it's almost like effortless to have these unwholesome mind states. Um, they're just there, <laughs> and uh, to to be able to cultivate the wholesome states, it actually does take some work to to sit down and and some effort to to cultivate them. Um, but the ironic thing is, is that the the positive um, mind states feel so much better mm -hmm. than the negative ones that it has me wondering, like, why is it why does it take so much more effort to do something that feels better? And um, and also just recognizing that, you know, the mind is going to do what the mind's going to do, and if something negative pops up out of instinct or, um, you know, not to, you know, recognize that as just screwing up or, you know, oh, that's not what I'm trying to do here, but to, like, recognize it and stop it from getting any further. Yeah, so... Um 
there's a lot in what you said. Um, I don't know that the unwholesome mind states are effortless. I, I wouldn't agree with that. They have to be done. Um, but what we thought was that they would be helpful to us. And so we have been practicing for a long time um, trying to get things and trying to get rid of things. And uh, what we've finally come up against, usually when people come to spiritual practice, is they realize that strategy wasn't quite working for them in some way. Um, and so you're right that the, the skillful or the wholesome states often feel better. And so we can use that, actually, as a little carrot for the mind to want to be more interested in states that are generally considered wholesome or skillful. Um, and then it gets drawn along. And there does come a point where there's a, a reversal, and the mind would actually rather be uh, in the easeful states. And it's hard to do the other ones. Now, we always have our little favorite habits that come up quite easily. Um, but there, I can say from experience that there does come a change where it's just, um, you know, you s you've seen enough to, to get more on that flip side of the track. Um, I will say that there's also different views about this. This does depend a little bit on our perception. I mean, there are entire branches of Buddhism that say that you're already enlightened <laughs> and that the problem is that you've got a few clouds in the way mm -hmm. and that the, th the only thing that's always there is the awakened mind um, and that it's this other stuff. Some people prefer that as a philosophical view. I think it doesn't matter. I think it's different sides of the hand. You know, Do you have to do some work to make your mind awake in a sense or are you already awake and you have to do the work to clear the stuff out of the way six one half dozen the other right you have to do the work there's no path where it's already there and you can just snap your fingers and you know so find what works for you um, but I think that these four just to be clear I think these four different these four steps are um, you know, they're going to be more on the side of you need to cultivate yourself in some way because the earlier teachings have that bias. Um, but they can be seen as, we're, that's why I emphasize at the end, what are you letting go into? More and more we have a sense that we're letting go into something that we value, that we care about, and that can start to draw us forward. Um, you know, are we going away from suffering or are we going toward peace? Different sides of the hand. Um, but, and then at different times, I think different ones of those are skillful. And then um, we tune our effort appropriately. Does that help a little bit to talk around the, yeah. I don't think that there's just one particular way that the mind is and way that the path is. Uh, we have to find the, the view of it, actually, also that's helpful for us. But the view is always going to be that um, letting go and release is where the freedom is. You know, that's all the traditions agree on that, um, and that it's not a particular state or feeling that you're getting. It's the continual release that is the freedom. But we practice it through these techniques. I think that's a good place for a break. I'll see you in, let's say, five to seven minutes. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.